Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer. I'm just uh, here, hoping you're all doing well, staying safe, keeping your mouths covered, keeping, uh, keeping the, trying to keep the curve down instead of, like, straight in the other axis. You know, it's a good thing to uh, keep you inside and keep you occupied. Bunnyslippers.com. Oh my goodness, why would you want to go outside? There's so many different animals' novelty slippers that you can wear. I'm not making light of everything that's going on outside, but damn it, look at those slippers. They are nice. And, um, bunnyslippers.com. They're damn nice. No, uh, check out their Highland Cow slippers. They're shaggy bowls that look really cool. And I, I have to say, they're really nice and, really nice and warm. And they've got so many other things. They've got, uh, like, different things that you can put on your feet of things that you like. Bunnyslippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com, too. Great company. Uh, works in conjunction with Bunnyslippers.com to give you uh, some of the best 80s outfits that you can find on the internet. Just, just like Chris Knight from Real Genius, Val Kilmer's character. I've got the Revenge of the Nerd shirts that I love. Am I wearing one right now? No, I'm actually wearing an official uh, PGTTCM shirt that you can find at the store show, or uh, um, uh, show shop, at the show shop, the show store. Uh, you can, it's a direct link to our t-shirts that you can uh, buy to help support the show. Also, t-shirts for Articulate Warbling, new one coming up soon, and a uh, new episode coming up soon, new t-shirt coming up soon new t-shirts for uh new episodes for dave's underground goat shenanigans and new t-shirts already up i'm always coming up with new t-shirts idea and thank you so much for supporting the show by buying my t-shirts and founditemclothing.com's t-shirts and bunnyslippers.com and you know what we're probably going to have some new sponsors in august as the show grows and Gross. Thank you all new listeners. New listeners, we uh, kicked past the 2,000 mark in uh, followers officially on Podbean. We're still somewhere in the 30K daily listeners. Thank you so much for sharing and telling people about us. If you want to follow us, we are People's Cthulhu Podcast, Black Clock Audio Tales, everywhere else. Kind of poking around on Twitter here and there. Mostly on Instagram, doing Facebook. Always do Facebook, because it's on my phone. And yeah, so help the show, check out the other shows I produce, and here's some Algernon Blackwood. An Egyptian Hornet. The word has an angry, malignant sound that brings the idea of attack vividly into the mind. There is a vicious sting about it somewhere. Even a foreigner, ignorant of the meaning, must feel it. A hornet is wicked. It darts and stabs. It pierces, aiming without provocation for the face and eyes. The name suggests a metallic droning of evil wings, fierce flight, and poisonous assault. Though black and yellow, it sounds scarlet. There is blood in it, a striped tiger of the air in concentrated form. There is no escape if it attacks. In Egypt, an ordinary bee is the size of an English hornet, but the Egyptian hornet is enormous. It is truly monstrous, an ominous, dying terror. It shares that universal quality of the land of the Sphinx and pyramids, 
great size it is a formidable insect worse than scorpion or tarantula the rev james milligan meeting one for the first time realized the meaning of another word as well a word he used prolifically in his eloquent sermons devil one morning in april when the heat began to bring the insects out he rose as usual betimes and went across the wide stone corridor to his bath the desert already glared in through the open windows the heat would be afflicting later in the day but at this early hour the cool north wind blew pleasantly down the hotel passages it was sunday and at half-past eight o'clock he would appear to conduct the morning service for the english visitors the floor of the passageway was cold beneath his feet in their thin native slippers of bright yellow he was neither young nor old his salary was comfortable he had a competency of his own without wife or children to absorb it the dry climate had been recommended to him and the big hotel took him in for next to nothing and he was thoroughly pleased with himself for he was a sleek vain pompous well-advertised personality but mean as a rat no worries of any kind were in his mind as carrying sponge and towel scented soap and a bottle of scrubs ammonia he travelled amiably across the deserted shining corridor to the bathroom and nothing went wrong with the rev james milligan until he opened the door and his eye fell upon a dark suspicious-looking object clinging to the window-pane in front of him and even then at first he felt no anxiety or alarm but merely a natural curiosity to know exactly what it was this little clot of an odd-shaped elongated thing that stuck there on the wooden framework six feet before his aquiline nose he went straight up to it to see then stopped dead his heart gave a distinct unclerical leap his lips formed themselves into unregenerate shape he gasped good god what is it for something unholy something wicked as a secret sin stuck there before his eyes in the patch of blazing sunshine he caught his breath for a moment he was unable to move as though the sight half fascinated him then cautiously and very slowly stealthily in fact he withdrew towards the door he had just entered fearful of making the smallest sound he retraced his steps on tiptoe his yellow slippers shuffled his dry sponge fell and bounded till it settled rolling close beneath the horribly attractive object facing him from the safety of the open door with ample space for retreat behind him he paused and stared his entire being focused itself in his eyes it was a hornet that he saw it hung there motionless and threatening between him and the bathroom door and at first he merely exclaimed below his breath good lord it's an egyptian hornet being a man with a reputation for decided action however he soon recovered himself he was well schooled in self-control when people left his church at the beginning of the sermon no muscle of his face betrayed the wounded vanity and annoyance that burned deep in his heart but a hornet sitting directly in his path was a very different matter he realized in a flash that he was poorly clothed in a word that he was practically half-naked from a distance he examined this intrusion of the devil 
it was calm and very still it was wonderfully made both before and behind its wings were folded upon its terrible body long sinuous things pointed like temptation barbed as well stuck out of it there was poison and yet grace in its exquisite presentment its shiny black was beautiful and the yellow stripes upon its sleek curved abdomen were like the gleaming ornaments upon some feminine body of the seductive world he preached against almost he saw an abandoned dancer on the stage and then swiftly in his impressionable soul the simile changed and he saw instead more blunt and aggressive forms of destruction the well-filled body tapering to a horrid point reminded him of those perfect engines of death that reduce hundreds to annihilation unawares torpedoes shells projectiles crammed with secret desolating powers its wings its awful quiet head its delicate slim waist its stripes of brilliant saffron all these seemed the concentrated prototype of abominations made cleverly by the brain of man and beautifully painted to disguise their invisible freight of cruel death bah he exclaimed ashamed of his prolific imagination it's only a hornet after all an insect and he contrived a hurried careful plan he aimed a towel at it rolled up into a ball but did not throw it he might miss he remembered that his ankles were unprotected instead he paused again examining the black and yellow object in safe retirement near the door as one day he hoped to watch the world in leisurely retirement in the country it did not move it was fixed and terrible it made no sound its wings were folded not even the black antennae blunt at the tips like clubs showed the least stir or tremble it breathed however he watched the rise and fall of the evil body it breathed air in and out as he himself did the creature he realized had lungs and heart and organs it had a brain its mind was active all this time it knew it was being watched it merely waited any second with a whiz of fury and with perfect accuracy of aim it might dart at him and strike if he threw the towel and missed it certainly would there were other occupants of the corridor however and a sound of steps approaching gave him the decision to act he would lose his bath if he hesitated much longer he felt ashamed of his timidity, though pusillanimity was the word thought-selected owing to the pulpit vocabulary it was his habit to prefer. He went with extreme caution towards the bathroom door, passing the point of danger so close that his skin turned hot and cold. With one foot gingerly extended, he recovered his sponge. The hornet did not move a muscle, but it had seen him pass it merely waited all dangerous insects had that trick it knew quite well he was inside it knew quite well he must come out a few minutes later it also knew quite well that he was naked once inside the little room he closed the door with exceeding gentleness lest the vibration might stir the fearful insect to attack the bath was already filled, and he plunged to his neck with a feeling of comparative security. 
a window into the outside passage he also closed so that nothing could possibly come in and steam soon charged the air and left its blurred deposit on the glass for ten minutes he could enjoy himself and pretend that he was safe for ten minutes he did so he behaved carelessly as though nothing mattered and as though all the courage in the world were his he splashed and soaped and sponged making a lot of reckless noise he got out and dried himself slowly the steam subsided the air grew clearer he put on dressing gown and slippers and it was time to go out unable to devise any further reason for delay he opened the door softly half an inch peeped out and instantly closed it again with a resounding bang he had heard a drone of wings the insect had left its perch and now buzzed upon the floor directly in his path the air seemed full of stings he felt stabs all over him his unprotected portions winced with the expectancy of pain the beast knew he was coming out and was waiting for him in that brief instant he had felt its sting all over him on his unprotected ankles on his back his neck his cheeks in his eyes and on the bald clearing that adorned his anglican head through the closed door he heard the ominous dull murmur of his striped adversary as it beat its angry wings its oiled and wicked sting shot in and out with fury its deft legs worked he saw its tiny waist already writhing with the lust of battle ah that tiny waist a moment's steady nerve and he could have severed that cunning body from the directing brain with one swift well-directed thrust but his nerve had utterly deserted him human motives even in the professedly holy are an involved affair at any time just now in the reverend james milligan they were quite inextricably mixed he claims this explanation at any rate in excuse of his abominable subsequent behaviour for exactly at this moment when he had decided to admit cowardice by ringing for the arab servant a step was audible in the corridor outside and courage came with it into his disreputable heart it was the step of the man he cordially disapproved of using the pulpit version of hated and despised he had overstayed his time and the bath was in demand by mr mullins mr mullins invariably followed him at seven thirty it was now a quarter to eight and mr mullins was a wretched drinking man a sot in a flash the plan was conceived and put into execution the temptation of course was of the devil mr milligan hid the motive from himself pretending he hardly recognized it the plan was what men call a dirty trick it was also irresistibly seductive he opened the door stepped boldly nose in the air right over the hideous insect on the floor and fairly pranced into the outer passage the brief transit brought a hundred horrible sensations that the hornet would rise and sting his leg that it would cling to his dressing-gown and stab his spine that he would step upon it and die like achilles of a heel exposed but with these and conquering them was one other stronger emotion that robbed the lesser terrors of their potency that mr mullins would run precisely the same risks five seconds later unprepared he heard the gloating insect buzz and scratch the oilcloth but it was behind him he was safe 
"'Good morning to you, Mr. Mullins,' he observed with a gracious smile. "'I trust I have not kept you waiting.' "'Mornin,' grunted Mullins sourly in reply, as he passed him with a distinctly hostile and contemptuous air. For Mullins, though depraved, was perhaps an honest man, abhorring Parsons and making no secret of his opinions, whence the bitter feeling. All men, except those very big ones who are supermen, have something astonishingly despicable in them. The despicable thing in Milligan came uppermost now. He fairly chuckled. He met the snub with a calm, forgiving smile, and continued his shambling gait with what dignity he could towards his bedroom opposite. Then he turned his head to see. His enemy would meet an infuriated hornet, an Egyptian hornet, and might not notice it. He might step on it. He might not. But he was bound to disturb it and rouse it to attack. The chances were enormously on the clerical side and its sting meant death. May God forgive me, ran subconsciously through his mind, and side by side with the repentant prayer ran also a recognition of the tempter's eternal skill. I hope the devil it will sting him. It happened very quickly. The Reverend James Milligan lingered a moment by his door to watch. He saw Mullins, the disgusting Mullins, step blithely into the bathroom passage. He saw him pause, shrink back, and raise his arm to protect his face. He heard him swear out loud, "'What's the damn thing doing here? Have I really got him again?' And then he heard him laugh, a hearty, guffawing laugh of genuine relief. "'It's real!' The moment of revulsion was overwhelming. It filled the churchly heart with anguish and bitter disappointment. For a space he hated the whole race of men. For the instant Mr. Mullins realized that the insect was not a fiery illusion of his disordered nerves, he went forward without the smallest hesitation. With his towel he knocked down the flying terror. Then he stooped. He gathered up the venomous thing his well-aimed blow had stricken so easily to the floor. He advanced with it, held at arm's length, to the window. He tossed it out carelessly. The Egyptian hornet flew away uninjured, and Mr. Mullins, the Mr. Mullins who drank, gave nothing to the church, attended no services, hated Parsons, and proclaimed the fact with enthusiasm, this same detestable Mr. Mullins went to his unearned bath without a scratch. But first he saw his enemy standing in the doorway across the passage, watching him, and understood. That was the awful part of it. Mullins would make a story of it, and the story would go the round of the hotel. The Reverend James Milligan, however, proved that his reputation for self-control was not undeserved. He conducted morning service half an hour later with an expression of peace upon his handsome face. He conquered all outward sign of inward spiritual vexation. The wicked, he consoled himself, ever flourish like green bay trees. It was notorious that the righteous never have any luck at all. That was bad enough. But what was worse, and the Reverend James Milliken remembered for very long, was the superior ease with which Mullins had relegated both himself and Hornet to the same level of comparative insignificance. Mullins ignored them both, which proved that he felt himself superior. 
infinitely worse than the sting of any hornet in the world, he really was superior. End of Story 9 By Water The night before young Larson left to take up his new appointment in Egypt, he went to the clairvoyant. He neither believed nor disbelieved. He felt no interest, for he already knew his past and did not wish to know his future. "'Just to please me, Jim,' the girl pleaded. "'The woman is wonderful.' before i had been five minutes with her she told me your initials so there must be something in it she read your thought he smiled indulgently even i can do that but the girl was in earnest he yielded and that night at his farewell dinner he came to give his report of the interview the result was meagre and unconvincing money was coming to him he was soon to make a voyage and he would never marry so you see how silly it all is he laughed for they were to be married when his first promotion came he gave the details however making a little story of it in the way he knew she loved but was that all jim the girl asked it looking rather hard into his face aren't you hiding something from me he hesitated a moment then burst out laughing at her clever discernment there was a little more he confessed but you take it all so seriously i he had to tell it then of course the woman had told him a lot of gibberish about friendly and unfriendly elements she said water was unfriendly to me i was to be careful of water or else i should come to harm by it fresh water only he hastened to add seeing that the idea of shipwreck was in her mind drowning the girl asked quickly yes he admitted with reluctance but still laughing she did say drowning though drowning in no ordinary way the girl's face showed uneasiness a moment what does that mean drowning in no ordinary way she asked a catch in her breath but that he could not tell her because he did not know himself he gave therefore the exact words you will drown but will not know you drown it was unwise of him. He wished afterwards he had invented a happier report, or had kept this detail back. I'm safe in Egypt anyhow, he laughed. I shall be a clever man if I can find enough water in the desert to do me harm. And all the way from Trieste to Alexandria he remembered the promise she had extracted, that he would never once go on the Nile unless duty made it imperative for him to do so. He kept that promise, like the literal, faithful soul he was. His love was equal to the somewhat quixotic sacrifice it occasionally involved. Fresh water in Egypt there was practically none other, and in any case the natrum works where his duty lay had their headquarters some distance out into the desert. The river, with its banks of welcome, refreshing verdure, was not even visible months passed quickly and the time for leave came within measurable distance in the long interval luck had played the cards kindly for him vacancies had occurred early promotion seemed likely and his letters were full of plans to bring her out to share a little house of their own his health however had not improved the dryness did not suit him even in this short period his blood had thinned his nervous system deteriorated and contrary to the doctor's prophecy the waterless air had told upon his sleep 
a damp climate liked him best and once the sun had touched him with its fiery finger his letters made no mention of this he described the life to her the work the sport the pleasant people and his chances of increased pay and early marriage and a week before he sailed he rode out upon a final act of duty to inspect the latest diggings his company were making his course lay some twenty miles into the desert behind el chobac and towards the limestone hills of gubiel hadi and he went alone carrying lunch and tea for it was the weekly holiday of friday and the men were not at work the accident was ordinary enough on his way back in the heat of early afternoon his pony stumbled against a boulder on the treacherous desert film threw him heavily broke the girth bolted before he could seize the reins again and left him stranded some ten or twelve miles from home there was a pain in his knee that made walking difficult a buzzing in his head that troubled sight and made the landscape swim while worse than either his provisions fastened to the saddle had vanished with the frightened pony into those blazing leagues of sand he was alone in the desert beneath the pitiless afternoon sun twelve miles of utterly exhausting country between him and safety under normal conditions he would have covered the distance in four hours reaching home by dark but his knee pained him so that a mile an hour proved the best he could possibly do he reflected a few minutes the wisest course was to sit down and wait till the pony told its obvious story to the stable and help should come and this was what he did for the scorching heat and glare were dangerous they were terrible he was shaken and bewildered by his fall hungry and weak into the bargain and an hour's painful scrambling over the baked and burning little gorges must have speedily caused complete prostration he sat down and rubbed his aching knee it was quite a little adventure yet though he knew the desert might not be lightly trifled with he felt at the moment nothing more than this and the amusing description of it he would give in his letter or intoxicating thought by word of mouth in the heat of the sun he began to feel drowsy a soft torpor crept over him he dozed he fell asleep it was a long dreamless sleep for when he woke at length the sun had just gone down the dusk lay awfully upon the enormous desert and the air was chilly the cold had waked him quickly as though on purpose the red glow faded from the sky the first star shone it was dark the heavens were deep violet he looked round and realized that his sense of direction had gone entirely great hunger was in him the cold already was bitter as the wind rose but the pain in his knee having eased he got up and walked a little and in a moment lost sight of the spot where he had been lying the shadowy desert swallowed it ah he realized this is not an english field or moor i'm in the desert the safe thing to do was to remain exactly where he was only thus could the rescuers find him once he wandered he was done for it was strange the search party had not yet arrived to keep warm however he was compelled to move so he made a little pile of stones to mark the place and walked round and round it in a circle of some dozen yards diameter 
he limped badly and the hunger gnawed dreadfully but after all the adventure was not so terrible the amusing side of it kept uppermost still though fragile in body his spirit was not unduly timid or imaginative he could last out the night or if the worst came to the worst the next day as well but when he watched the little group of stones he saw that there were dozens of them scores hundreds thousands of these little groups of stones the desert's face of course is thickly strewn with them the original one was lost in the first five minutes so he sat down again but the biting cold and the wind that licked his very skin beneath the light clothing soon forced him up again it was ominous and the night huge and shelterless the shaft of green zodiacal light that hung so strangely in the western sky for hours had faded away the stars were out in their bright thousands no guide was anywhere the wind moaned and puffed among the sandy mounds the vast sheet of desert stretched appallingly upon the world he heard the jackal's cry and with the jackal's cry came suddenly the unwelcome realization that no play was in this adventure any more but that a bleak reality stared at him through the surrounding darkness he faced it at bay he was genuinely lost thought blocked in him i must be calm and think he said aloud his voice woke no echo it was small and dead something gigantic ate it instantly he got up and walked again why did no one come hours had passed the pony had long ago found its stable or had it run madly in another direction altogether he worked out possibilities tightening his belt the cold was searching he never had been never could be warm again the hot sunshine of a few hours ago seemed the merest dream unfamiliar with hardship he knew not what to do but he took his coat and shirt off vigorously rubbing his skin where the dried perspiration of the afternoon still caused clammy shivers swung his arms furiously like a london cabman and quickly dressed again though the wind upon his bare back was fearful he felt warmer a little he lay down exhausted sheltered by an overhanging limestone crag and took snatches of fitful dog sleep while the wind drove overhead and the dry sand pricked his skin one face continually was near him one pair of tender eyes two dear hands smoothed him he smelt the perfume of light brown hair it was all natural enough his whole thought in his misery ran to her in england england where there were soft fresh grass big sheltering trees hemlock and honeysuckle in the hedges while the hard black desert guarded him and consciousness dipped away at little intervals under this dry and pitiless egyptian sky it was perhaps five in the morning when a voice spoke and he started up with a horrid jerk the voice of that clairvoyant woman the sentence died away into the darkness but one word remained water at first he wondered but at once explanation came cause and effect were obvious the clue was physical his body needed water and so the thought came up into his mind he was thirsty 
This was the moment when fear first really touched him. Hunger was manageable, more or less, for a day or two, certainly, but thirst— thirst and the desert were an evil pair that by cumulative suggestion gathering since childhood days brought terror in once in the mind it could not be dislodged in spite of his best efforts the ghastly thing grew passionately because his thirst grew too he had smoked much had eaten spiced things at lunch had breathed in alkali with the dry scorched air he searched for a cool flint pebble to put into his burning mouth, but found only angular scraps of dusty limestone. There were no pebbles here. The cold helped a little to counteract, but already he knew in himself subconsciously the dread of something that was coming. What was it? He tried to hide the thought and bury it out of sight. The utter futility of his tiny strength against the power of the universe appalled him, and then he knew. The merciless sun was on the way, already rising. Its return was like the presage of execution to him. It came. With true horror he watched the marvelous swift dawn break over the sandy sea. The eastern sky glowed hurriedly as from crimson fires. Ridges, not noticeable in the starlight, turned black in endless series like flat-topped billows of a frozen ocean wide streaks of blue and yellow followed as the sky dropped sheets of faint light upon the wind-eaten cliffs and showed their undersides they did not advance they waited till the sun was up and then they moved they rose and sank they shifted as the sunshine lifted them and the shadows crept away but in an hour there would be no shadows any more. There would be no shade. The little groups of stones began to dance. It was horrible. The unbroken, huge expanse lay round him, warming up twelve hours of blazing hell to come. Already the monstrous desert glared, each bit familiar, since each bit was a repetition of the bit before, behind, on either side. It laughed at guidance and direction. He rose and walked. For miles he walked, though how many, north, south, or west, he knew not. The frantic thing was in him now, the fury of the desert. He took its pace, its endless, tireless stride, the stride of the burning, murderous desert that is waterless. He felt it alive, a blinding, heaving desire in it to reduce him to its conditionless, awful dryness. He felt, yet knowing this was feverish and not to be believed, that his own small life lay on its mighty surface, a mere dot in space, a mere heap of little stones. His emotions, his fears, his hopes, his ambitions, his love, mere bundled group of little unimportant stones that danced with apparent activity for a moment, then were merged in the undifferentiated surface underneath. He was included in a purpose greater than his own. The will made a plucky effort then. A night and a day, he laughed, while his lips cracked smartingly with the stretching of the skin. What is it? Many a chap has lasted days and days. Yes, only he was not of that rare company. He was ordinary, unaccustomed to privation, weak, untrained of spirit, unacquainted with stern resistance. 
he knew not how to spare himself the desert struck him where it pleased all over it played with him his tongue was swollen the parched throat would not swallow he sank an hour he lay there just wit enough in him to choose the top of a mound where he could be most easily seen he lay two hours three four hours the heat blazed down upon him like a furnace the sky when he opened his eyes once was empty then a speck became visible in the blue expanse and presently another speck they came from nowhere they hovered very high almost out of sight they appeared they disappeared they reappeared nearer and nearer they swung down in sweeping stealthy circles little dancing groups of them miles away but ever drawing closer the vultures he had strained his ears so long for sounds of feet and voices that it seems he could no longer hear at all hearing had ceased within him then came the water dreams with their agonizing torture he heard that heard it running in silvery streams and rivulets across green english meadows it rippled with silvery music he heard it splash he dipped hands and feet and head in it in deep clear pools of generous depth he drank with his skin he drank not with mouth and throat alone ice clinked in effervescent sparkling water against a glass he swam and plunged water gushed freely over back and shoulders gallons and gallons of it bathfuls and to spare a flood of gushing crystal cool life-giving liquid and then he stood in a beech wood and felt the streaming deluge of delicious summer rain upon his face heard it drip luxuriantly upon a million thirsty leaves the wet trunks shone the damp moss spread its perfume ferns waved heavily in the moist atmosphere he was soaked to the skin in it a mountain torrent fresh from fields of snow foamed boiling past and the spray fell in a shower upon his cheeks and hair he dived head foremost ah he was up to the neck and she was with him they were under water together he saw her eyes gleaming into his own beneath the copious flood the voice however was not hers you will drown yet you will not know you drown his swollen tongue called out a name but no sound was audible he closed his eyes there came sweet unconsciousness a sound in that instant was audible though it was a voice voices and the thud of animal hoofs upon the sand the specks had vanished from the sky as mysteriously as they came and as though in answer to the sound he made a movement an automatic unconscious movement he did not know he moved and the body uncontrolled lost its precarious balance he rolled but he did not know he rolled slowly over the edge of the sloping mound of sand he turned sideways like a log of wood he slid gradually turning over and over nothing to stop him to the bottom a few feet only and not even steep just steep enough to keep rolling slowly there was a splash but he did not know there was a splash 
they found him in a pool of water one of these rare pools the desert bedouins mark preciously for their own he had lain within three yards of it for hours he was drowned but he did not know he drowned end of story ten